You're listening to episode nine of Speaking with Deacon. Why wait? A Catholic approach to sex and dating. Speaking with Deacon is a production of the Perusia Podcast Network in partnership with Voice of Charity Australia and BWTN Asia Pacific. Join us as we discuss strategies that will empower us to announce the gospel of the Lord daily through our words and deeds. This is Speaking with Deacon. Thanks for joining us once again on Speaking with Deacon. I'm Mark Griffin, your host, and joining me, as always, is Catholic apologist, Catholic speaker, Catholic author, dynamic Deacon Harold Burke-Sivers. Deacon Harold, how are you today? I'm doing well, Mark. It's always great to see you and be with you. It's good to be back with you once again. Uh, We've got an interesting topic today, and, and it's a topic that we don't often hear about, but before we get there, why don't we just quickly look at what you've been up to lately? What, what's happening in Deacon Harold world? Yeah, a couple of things. Um, first of all, um, I, uh, the, the, my most recent book on the diaconate, Our Life of Service, uh, the Handbook for Catholic Deacons, published by Ave Maria Press here in the United States, um, won uh, third place in the Association of Catholic Publishers Excellence in Publishing Awards. Oh, well done. Congratulations. So, uh, yeah, so uh, Dr. Ed Shree's book got first place and uh, Focus, uh, Curtis Martin and those guys got second place and my book got third place. So um, so I was excited about that. So um, award, but I'm most excited. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, but I'm most excited about a, a brand new initiative uh, that I've launched in partnership with Perusia Media, and that is Christian Marketing Solutions. And what, and what Christian Marketing Solutions is, um, in a nutshell, um, it's a, a, an, a, an amazing way for people to bring the life-saving message of Jesus Christ to people within your circle of influence. So whether you're a Catholic leader, a speaker, um, a musician, you're a Catholic business, a radio host, a podcaster, we offer unlimited resources and templates is a perfect way to grow your band, to get your name out there, um, to promote your parish and activities that you're that you're doing to bring the life-giving and life uh, uh, sustaining message of Jesus Christ to the world. And it's it's a great way to increase your following by consistently deploying, engaging educational and relationship-based content marketing. Right. And what's cool about our approach, un- unlimited email, unlimited social media integration, unlimited opt-in landing pages just for starters, and it's by Catholics for Catholics. So there's no really wild hidden costs, or if you go to this next level, you have to pay this amount of fees. It's all unlimited for, for, for one very, yeah, for one very great price. And the beautiful part about all this, you can't be deplatformed. Right. (laughs) So, so many of these, uh, uh, so many of these uh, social media outlets and stuff are deplatforming Catholic speakers because they don't like the message that won't happen with us. You get the same robust, um, you know, uh, interfaces and, and, and usability that you have with those others, except with us, you know, you, you pay one price for unlimited use and you don't get the platform. Yeah, that, that's really exciting. And it's hopefully going to be a big game changer in, in the, the Catholic 
um, the Catholic market there for this sort of thing. We're very excited to be partnering with you on this one. And yeah, hopefully this can, this can really change the landscape in a, in a really positive way. So how do people find this particular platform, Deacon? Just go to cmsunlimited.com. So cmsunlimited.com. All the information is there. Wonderful. And we'll put links in the show notes as well to, to be able to link to that particular platform. Very exciting news. Um, today, we're going to go, as I mentioned at the start, we're going to be speaking about a topic that's not something we hear about often, but at the same time it is. We hear a lot about this often from the secular world. We don't hear very often much about this topic from a Catholic perspective. And so we're going to be looking at a Catholic approach to sex and dating. And I think it's fair to say, Deacon, that the secular world really does shout from the rooftops what their approach is. And this is something that really does need to be addressed and, and give Catholics a good perspective on this, isn't it? That's so true. Um, you know, because here's the thing. A lot of people think that the church has a, um, a, a, a poor vision uh, or poor perspective on sex. That it's something that's looked down upon them, frowned upon, and something that's dirty and something that's... No, no, nothing could be further from the truth. Uh, from the truth. The church loves sex. <laughs> Let me just, I'm just going to say it. The church, the church loves sex. Why? Because it's a participation in the life-giving power of God, right? We're made in God's image and likeness. And so God has allowed us as human beings to participate in his power to give new life. So husbands and wives come together in an act of, of intercourse and in an act of interpersonal, deep interpersonal communion. Um, that the, the baby that's formed uh, is infused with a soul by God. And now we, we have helped uh, in this process of, of helping to create a new person with an eternal soul given to them by God. And, and, we, and we've helped and participated in, in that life-giving power of God. So sex is something that's sacred and sex is holy because it's a participation in God's life. But what's happened, Mark, We've taken this great gift and we've twisted it and distorted it and perverted it and changed it into a consumer product, right? We look at yeah. contraception. We look at uh, abortion, right? When contraception fails, you get an abortion. Um, human trafficking, uh, pornography, prostitution, all of these things are, are, are linked to a very distorted and perverted understanding of human sexuality the nature of our bodies, uh, our bodies, right? Uh, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6, 19, our bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit that we have within us from God. But many people just see bodies as playthings, as objects devoid of any um, of, of any of God's life, of, of the spark of God's spirit. They, they don't see our bodies that way. They just see our bodies as as objects to be used for pleasure and gratification or whatever I decided to be, even with assisted suicide, right? I mean, it's, it's what they say, my body, my choice, right? My body, my choice. And, and so that, that's the language of the culture. So we have to, the church has to clearly articulate a vision and the message of truth, goodness, and beauty when it comes to human sexuality. Um, as, as taught to us and articulated by the church, which of course comes from the teachings of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. I think a good way you, to, to counteract that, that claim of my body, my choice, I think a good place to start here would be to say that the church's view 
for our body is that our body is to be a living sacrifice to God. That's, that's what we are to use our body for, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, uh, what does St. Paul say? Offer your bodies an acceptable sacrifice to God, your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind so that you may know what is God's will, right? So, so our bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit. Our bodies are, are the way we articulate the life of God to the world. That's why we have bodies. Bodies articulate the person. Right. And, and, and they're vehicles for us to be able to express to other people the power and the witness of God's love. So we use our bodies to evangelize. We use our bodies to procreate. We use our bodies for worship. Right. And, and, and uh, ideally, remember, we're going to get our bodies back. That's how important our bodies are. You know, our bodies die and they rot in the ground at death. But at the end of the world, when Jesus Christ comes at the end of time to restore uh, everything to to the Father, um, that we're going to get our bodies back, right? And we're going to have. Remember, the Book of Revelation talks about a new heaven and a new earth. So um, we're going to get glorified bodies, you know. And 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 the assumption of Blessed Virgin Mary is a beautiful preamble to what we're all going to receive. So what Mary received, we're all going to. Well, hopefully, God willing, we're all going to receive at the end of at the end of time. Um, so the, the 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 glorified body that Mary has is just a, 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 an patient of what hopefully all of us will participate in uh, if we stay faithful to the life of God. Uh, that's how important our bodies are. It's interesting you mentioned at the end of time, because what I'm going to do is go right back the other way. So back to the beginning of time. And I think this is actually quite telling. And in a lot of the conversations that we've had so far in this series, Deacon, we started in Genesis. There is absolute mm -hmm. genius in creation. And we need to look no further than the scriptures and then to the creation to, to see God's genius in the world around us. But in this instance, for this topic, let's go back to Genesis. Let's talk about covenant relationship. Let's talk about male and female. He created them, which is something that the world is really having trouble with. But from a Catholic perspective, this is essential truth, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, where I want to start, um, before Genesis is actually in um, in, in First uh, Samuel uh, chapter chapter sixteen, which is the call of David. Okay. Um, you know, uh, and and, and you'll and you'll it'll, it'll see it'll be clear why I want to start here and then go back to Genesis. Now Samuel was a prophet called by God to anoint to go and anoint the new future king of Israel, because Saul uh, was not doing what God needed him to do. And Saul was offering um, unworthy sacrifices to the Lord. So the Lord was displeased with Saul and sent the prophet Samuel, which Samuel means hear the word of God, uh, sent Samuel to the house of Jesse in Bethlehem, right? And what does Isaiah say, say? A shoot shall sprout from the stump of Jesse. Now, Jesse had eight sons, um, uh, um, uh, Abinadab, Shammah, and, and one of them was David. Now, when Samuel gets to the house, uh, uh, Jesse lines up seven of his sons, Eliab, Abinadab, Shema, and the others, but not David. Why? Because David's a kid. He's a teenager. He's out there with the sheep. He's a shepherd. And so he goes to the first son, Eliab. It doesn't describe him in the scriptures what he looked like, but he's probably tall, handsome, because obviously Samuel thought he this guy looks like a king. 
He goes to pour the oil of anointing, and the Lord says, no, not him. And Samuel's confused. He goes, I, I have the oil right here. There's Jesse. I'm in the right place. What's the problem? And what does the Lord say to him? Yeah, uh, do not look on his appearance or mm -hmm. the height of his stature because I have rejected him. Because the Lord sees, not as man sees. Man looks at the outward appearance. The Lord looks on the heart. Ah, see, the heart, as I described this um, in our last episode, the heart or leb in Hebrew, the heart is the place where your desire for God lives inside of you. It's not just an organ that pumps blood through the body for the Hebrews. Uh, it was the place where your desire for God lives inside of you. It's your heart. Uh, so that's what God looks at when he looks at us. He's not look. He doesn't care about our physical appearance, how black you are, how white you are, how Hispanic or Asian, how tall, how short, whether you're skinny, whether you're a little chubby. He doesn't care. God looks at what kind of person you are on the inside. You know, in our humanity, we often focus on, make judgments about people based on what they look like on the outside. But God looks on what's in the inside. Why? Go back to Genesis. We're made in the image and likeness of God. And the very words that are used in Hebrew to describe in Genesis 1, where it says image and likeness, speak volumes to this understanding of the, the complementarity between man and woman, male and female. So if we look, it says, uh, we, uh, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So God created man in his image and likeness. Word for image is salem. It's a masculine noun in Hebrew. Um, it, it literally means a shadow that's the outline or representation of the original. So if I'm standing in the light, Mark, I'm casting a shadow. The shadow is not me. It's the image. It's the outline. It's the representation of me, right? But if I move my arm, the shadow moves with me. If I move my leg, the shadow moves with me. What does that mean spiritually? Are we God? Of course not, right? But 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 4 says we are partakers in the divine nature. I talked about last time uh, first, uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, 19, where, where Paul says our bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit that we have within us from God. You are not your own. You've been bought with a price. So glorify God in your body, right? So, so our bodies speak a language of love and intimacy and communion. And so just, so what does that mean spiritually? Like, um, when the shadow moves, uh, when we move and the shadow moves with us, we're supposed to reflect God's life in, in being made in his image. Obviously, it's not his physical image because God, you know, in Genesis has no physicality, right? There's the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, but there, there's no physical nature, just a spiritual nature, the, the, the three persons in the one nature, sharing the one divine nature. So there's no, until the word became flesh in Jesus, there's no physical physicalness to God at this point. And so, <clears throat> but he gave us bodies in order to articulate the person. So we're supposed to reflect God. So when we speak, we're reflecting the speech of God. When we think, we're reflecting the mind of God. And when we love, we're reflecting the love of God. 
right? That's what it means to be made in the image of God. What about the likeness of God, demuth, which is a feminine noun in Hebrew, which means similar. So what does that mean? So say um, someone wanted to create a, uh, a statue of, of me, Deacon Harold. And so they have a statue of me on one side and my son, Benjamin, on the other side of me. Now, you would say that the statue and my son both look like me, right? They're both in my likeness because they both look like me. But what does the, 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 my son have that the statue doesn't have, right? In essence, a nature, a being, right? In Greek, usia, right? Uh, my stuff and God's stuff is in my son. So even though the statue looks more like me, my son is much more in my likeness. See, that's the proper understanding. Now notice, Salem and Demuth, image and likeness, are masculine and feminine nouns in Hebrew. What follows right after that? Male and female, he created them. Yeah. So the very words are masculine and feminine that express the reality of the complementarity with, uh, within God that he expressed through masculinity and femininity, which per perfectly complement each other, and which is an icon of the Trinity, right? Because a, 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 a father and a mother come together and the love between them create a third, right? Which is children. And the which is, uh, uh, again, uh, it's all ana human analogies fell. We're talking about God, but the image and likeness piece is the love between God the Father and the Son is so deep, intense, and personal, it gives life or gives birth, if you will, to a third, the Holy Spirit. So the family on earth is the image and likeness of the family in heaven. That's where we get the under. So we're not being, we're not being closed-minded, we're not being bigoted, we're not being, you know, woke or whatever when we're talking about uh, you know, marriage as a man and a woman. That's the reality that God has established from the beginning. Everything else is a distortion or a, a, or a perversion, if you will, of God's original plan. Um, that doesn't mean that, that people uh, that are, are brothers and sisters who are same-sex attracted or transgender, that means they're going to hell. It doesn't mean that at all. And that's not the attitude that we should have. We should approach all of our brothers and sisters who have a distorted view of what marriage is with love and, and with mercy. And with understanding that they're not at the place or the understanding where we are. Our job is to meet people where they are and bring them into deeper relationship with Jesus. And we can't do that if we're fueled by animosity and hatred. In fact, that's what they show to us. You know, they talk about being um, tolerant. But I see a very much a lack of tolerance when you bring a position that's in opposition to what they believe. So they're only tolerant of people that agree with them. Well, my friend, that's not tolerance. That's agreement, sure. right? So, um, so what we have to do is exercise that, that value of tolerance by saying, okay, you're not where I am right now. We're at a very, very different places here. Let's enter into a dialogue so that we can come to understand not ultimately who's right or who's wrong, but what is true and what is not true. Because that's what the heart is longing for, truth, goodness, beauty. And, and the, the heart and the will can only be satisfied by that 
which is true, which is objectively true, ultimately true, not the truth that I create for myself, not a truth that's a societal, a social construct, um, not a truth that I want to be, but to see things as they are and to, and to embrace that because it's, it's part of God's plan and God's design for, for all of humanity, who he loves. You mentioned a word in there, complementarity. Now, there is a difference between complementarity and compatibility, isn't there? They're, they're two very different things. So being complementary to something isn't necessarily the same as saying compatible, is it? Yeah. So for example, Mark, um, here, here's my iPhone, right? If I take my USB cable and I plug that into the, or actually not USB, it would be, uh, um, uh, what's that Apple uh, plug-in called here? Uh, oh, I, not, I use one. I don't know what it's called, but I use one. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, yeah, but it's, you know, Apple's proprietary uh, technology, right? For, for plugging something into the phone here. Yes. Those two things would be compatible, right? Th- those two things are compatible. Um, but we're talking about complementarity, we're talking about a much deeper reality here. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're, we're talking about two things that are not just compatible with each other, but that complement each other. Because a, a man and a woman, they bring strengths that that are uh, and, and gifts that are particularly masculine, and women bring gifts that are particularly feminine. And it's those two things, even to the to the the the, the level of cellular and molecular biology that clearly show the physical and from our perspective, spiritual image and likeness, spiritual complementarity between man and woman. It's the differences between the man and the woman that actually come together and bring unity and complementarity. So the only real um, unity that you can have is by focusing on the complementarity. It's precisely because of the complementarity that they're able to have oneness and unity. See, oh. and, and that that's the deeper reality here uh, that so much of our culture doesn't appreciate and doesn't understand. When we're talking about the relationships between man and woman, that is also more specifically, actually husband and wife that is very clearly defined in the scriptures. And we, we look to St. Paul for that definition. Let's, let's just have a look a little bit about what St. Paul says. Um, and this is something that once again, the culture pushes back heavily against and that being wives be submissive to your husbands. Yeah. And then they stop there and they switch off and they don't actually see what comes next. Can you speak a little bit about St. Paul's teaching in that particular scripture? Yeah, I'd love to. So um, we're talking about Ephesians chapter five. Chapter five, yeah. Right? Uh, yeah, Ephesians chapter five, starting at verse uh, 20. Uh, uh, sorry, sorry, verse 21. So um, the, the, the way that whole thing starts off is uh, was, was that particular section of scripture in, in scripture is called the pericope, right? But where it starts is verse 21. It says, be subject to one another out of reverence for Christ. That's how Paul starts the whole discussion off in Ephesians. Uh, be subject to one another. So wives and, and, and husbands see be subject, mutual subjection one to the other. What kind of relationship is that? We, we talked about this before. Covenant relationship, right? The beautiful exchange of love, life, 
intimacy and communion between the man and the woman who perfectly complement each other, right? And, and, and those two, and those gifts that they share come together in a way that unites them. Think, think about it like this in the sexual act. Think about all the major systems of the body, Mark, the heart, the lungs, the liver, the kidneys, and the brain. All of those organs function independently within the individual person, correct? Absolutely, yeah. But notice, but notice in sexual complementarity, the, 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 um, the man's uh, penis doesn't function without the complementarity of the woman. And, and a woman's um, sexual reproductive system, vagina, doesn't function the way it is designed to function without the man. See, so all the other, for example, a man and woman, they don't share a heart. They don't share lungs. They don't share livers. They don't share a brain uh, because those are independent, but they have two systems. And notice those systems are life-giving systems. Those systems have to come together in a union and complementarity of physicality in a biological way. And it's when those two systems come together that they are functioning the way that they were designed to function. See, it, it, there's a beauty there in the way God has designed us, right? And they have to come together in a way that's intimate. There's a closeness and an intimacy there. You know, um, the, the, the bodies have to join. They have to, they have to become one. And that's why, G, that's why God says in Genesis chapter two, where, where Jesus quotes this in Matthew chapter 18, we talks about marriage. He says, therefore, a man leaves his father and mother and cleaves to his wife and they become one flesh. Paul says that here in, 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 uh, at the end of the pericope in, in Ephesians five, verse 31. So he starts off talking about uh, covenant relationship in verse 21, and he ends the whole thing in Genesis chapter five, 31, 10 verses later by quoting exactly from Genesis chapter two. Therefore, a man leaves his father and mother and cleaves to his wife, and they become one flesh. Now, one interesting footnote here. The word for um, cleave to, because when you see that image in scripture, a man, he leaves his father and mother, was he cling to his wife? Does he hold on to her? Um, no, the word is daubach in Hebrew. It means to pursue as to overtake. So literally in Hebrew, it says, therefore, a man leaves his father and mother and pursues his wife and they become one flesh. He pursues her, right? Because remember, we talked about the role of women before. Women as the highlight, the pinnacle of God's creative activity is a woman. She's the greatest of all God's creation. You know, the, 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 the cherry on the whipped cream of the ice cream of God's creation is a woman. So he pursues her. Why? He's, he pursues she who per, in, a, in an earthly way, in an earthly way, in anticipation of, of the, the final consummation in heaven with God, in an earthly way, perfects him and completes him and perfectly complements him, right? And so when he, when he reaches her and they, and, and they enter into that covenant relationship, right, uh, they, they, they then engage in a sexual act. In fact, look at Genesis chapter one. The first thing that God does, the first commandment, is be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. In, in fact, um, the word be open, be fruitful, uh, is ephrata, 
or uh, in, in Aramaic or para in Hebrew, it means to be open. So literally God's first command after he creates male and female, he created them uh, and, and he, and he uh, establishes the covenant between them, right? He unites them in a covenant relationship. This very first act is to be fruitful and multiply, right? In other words, literally be open to life. God's first command. So Paul knows all of this as he's writing this in Ephesians. So, so those are the bookends. Covenant relationship are the bookends in which Paul frames this whole conversation. So there's nothing for us to be nervous or afraid about as Catholics. Because now we have a proper understanding of what Paul is, uh, is, is trying to say in all of this. Let's dive in. Be subject to one another. Then he says, wise, be subject to your husbands. The word there for subject to or submissive to in Greek is hupotasso. Hupotasso was a military word that was used by Roman soldiers to describe troops arranged in divisions that placed themselves under the mission and direction of a leader who was typically a general. So what is St. Paul saying? St. Paul is saying, wives, place yourselves under your husband's mission. What is his mission? Ephesians 5.25, husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church. How did Christ show his love for the church? He died for her. He gave his life for her. So what St. Paul is saying, wives, place yourself under your husband's mission because his job is to serve, protect, and defend, to die to himself every day of his life, to live for you and for your children. He's to die to himself to live for you. That's what St. Paul is saying. When he says, wise, be submissive. No, he's saying, place your, not be a, a slave, not, not to be some kind of uh, chattel. No, you are to place yourself under your husband's mission because his job is to die every day so that you can live. That's beautiful. So, so Jesus gives us the model. The man is, the reason why the man is the head of the house is because he's the chief servant of his wife and children. Jesus gives us the model. I have not come to be served, but to serve. The greatest among you is the least, is the servant of all. Jesus himself gives us the model that headship and leadership and authority is rooted in service, right? But again, remember we saw in verse 21, there's a mutual subjection. So the wife places herself under her husband's mission, but the husband in turn is to listen to his wife, listen to her heart, listen to her heart, right? Because the woman is the heart of the home. She's the heart of the family, right? And so he, he's not just to listen to the words that come out of her mouth, but he's listening more deeply to her heart, right? And it, there, again, it's not just, um, you know, it's just not um, compatibility. There's a beautiful complementarity. The, the wonderful marriage union between the gifts that each of them bring psychologically, physically, spiritually, emotionally to that relationship. And it's those beautiful gifts that complement each other and therefore reflect the very Trinitarian life of God. In the culture today, that picture that you're painting, even though it is so crystal clear and beautiful in its design, you will get women in the culture today that say, I don't need him to serve me. I can look after myself. So how do you actually bring this picture that you've painted and present that 
to a culture that just does not want to hear it. As beautiful as it is, they don't want to hear it. The, cult, the culture fell for the lie, Mark. You will be like, like God. Therefore, I don't need anybody. I don't need a man. I don't need God. I don't need anybody. All I need is myself, mm-hmm. right? All I need is myself. And, and so there, there's a misunderstanding of the meaning of independence here, mm-hmm. okay, of freedom. Because in our culture, freedom is license. Freedom means to do whatever I want to do, right? Um, uh, again, sometimes they have the caveat, uh, I'm free to do whatever I want as long as I don't hurt anybody, right? And so, so what happens is you have someone that agrees with your warped and distorted position. I am a reality and I am a truth unto myself. So the only truth that matters is my truth, not objective truth, but subjective truth. And what happens there is like, Jesus warns us about this. It's like someone who built their house on sand, right? The winds of the culture come, the winds of the culture shift and change and blow. And if your house of your life is not built on anything solid, your house is going to fall. And that's happened to so many young people in our culture. And the reason why they fall for this lie, Mark, and the reason why they they, they, they uh, subjected themselves to the, the truth of the culture is because they believe, mis- misunderstand and believe um, that the what the, the Catholic Church does by exercising authority is trying to take away your freedom Mm -hmm. and it's just the opposite is true the reason why we have rules and laws and commands is to actually enhance our freedom Uh, it's only by uh following god's laws that gives us the true freedom that we need to become the person who god created us to be think think about athletes mark if you were an athlete and you want to be a great athlete, and you got a coach, and this coach is supposed to help you become great, would you hire a coach, Mark, that said to you, you know what, Mark, you want to be great athlete? Here's what you got to do. Eat whatever you want. Work out whenever you want. In fact, do whatever you think is right. You know, if, if you don't want to run today, then don't run. If you don't want to do the weights today and exercise and then don't do it. Just, just do it the way you want to do it. What? Who would ever hire a coach like that? Nobody. You would want to hire a coach that says this. You want to be great? You have to work. That means you have to sacrifice some things. That means you can't hang out with your friends whenever you want. That means you have to get up at four o'clock in the morning and put the time and the work in and the effort in before school to make sure that you get your workout in. Then you have to spend time for several hours after school also working out and, and doing your drills and perfecting your skills and, and turning your body into a fine-tuned instrument so that you can have the greatness that you seek. You have to sacrifice time for video games. You have to sacrifice relationships. And, 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 and how many times have we seen this, Mark? Athletes do this willingly and mm-hmm. lovingly. To what end, Mark? A gold medal, mm-hmm. a piece of gold. Mm-hmm. What And the church is the same thing with the Holy Mother Church is our coach. And when the church says, we say that sex is sacred and holy, it's something that's reserved for the covenant relationship of marriage. We're not trying to, 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 to take away your freedom. We're actually just like that coach. You have to sacrifice some things, some things that are good and beautiful. You have to sacrifice those things in order to be great, in order to be great. 
And that's what Holy Mother Church does for us. And that's what the society is not seeing. So what we have to do, Mark, is help the culture recognize that the path that so many people are on where truth is, I am an autonomous center of truth unto myself, that that path ultimately leads to, to misery and unfulfillment and not the joy that so many people seek in their life. Because think about it. Some people work really hard to get all this money, all this fame, all this fortune, and they end up committing suicide. Mm. Now, I'm not trying to downplay the role of mental illness here because there's th that's legitimate. But they have everything that the culture says they have to have to be happy and free and fulfilled. Mm -hmm. But yet they're still not happy because all the things that they're seeking in the material world will never give them the joy and the fulfillment as a deep, intimate relationship with God does. And that intimate relationship with God is reflected in a relationship between a man and a woman, you know? And, and so, you know, and again, sometimes, you know, we they don't know all the reasons why. There's some wires that get crossed maybe biologically or sociologically, why people um, that are men think they're women, why some women think they're men and, and why people are, are same-sex attracted. But here's the beautiful truth. They are all our brothers and sisters, and we are to love them with the love of Christ. And if you don't love them with the love of Christ, you cannot call yourself a Catholic. Absolutely. Now, that doesn't mean that you accept their behavior, right? Uh, the, the Catholic principle is this. We love everyone, but we always don't love their actions. And we judge actions. We never judge people. So our job is to engage people who don't think like we do, who don't act like we do, and, and to bring the love of Christ to show them uh, the beauty and truth. And that, that's going to take time. It's not something that's going to happen overnight. It's not something that's going to happen with a devastating argument for St. Thomas Aquinas. It's something that's going to take time and effort and a lot of love and understanding. And we have to show them that at the end of this um, race, if you like, the reward offered following the guidance of coach mother church is going to be far greater infinitely greater than a gold medal. Um, That's so right. yeah, it, it's, That's it's right. keeping them on focus, isn't it? You mentioned when you Remember were talking, Jesus says, "Eye has not seen ear has not heard, nor can anyone even imagine what God has prepared for us. So when you see yeah. in all the movies, what heaven looks like, it's just as, as amazing as all of that is. That's not even close to the awesomeness of the experience of what it's going to be like with God forever in heaven. Nothing on earth can prepare us for, for how awesome that's going to be. And if, if that doesn't excite us, I don't know what will. <laughs> that's um, right. That's right. You, you mentioned before um, when you were talking about the marital act, and the reason I say the marital act is because that's the only time within marriage that that, that sexual act is appropriate. But within the marital act, the openness to life is something you raised. You just touched on a little bit before the world today, once again, would say that we should be able to have the pleasure without the burden of a pregnancy and a child. And this is a really big issue. So where does the church stand on contraception? Just to make it very clear. Okay. So contraception literally means against life. Okay. Um, uh, so, the, but here's the other thing. I, you have to say this. The church does not teach have as many children as humanly possible, okay? That, that's not what the church teaches. How many children a husband and wife have? Now, this has been openness to life, absolutely, you know, but, but the church does not teach 
uh, that every couple is just to have as many children as possible. That's a prudential decision that couples have to make together while continually being open to, to, to the possibility of life. And that's why the church has natural family planning, because there, there comes a time where, you, where couples may have to space children for, for good reasons. The, you know, um, physical, psychological, financial, emotional. All, I mean, I, I, my wife has suffered when we were having kids from, uh, from um, postpartum depression. That was a very real thing. Um, there are many couples that are open, uh, definitely open to life, but financially, there may not be the position where if they bring another child, they can't feed the other children. You know, it, it, I mean, there's some real things that go on here. And so the church uses natural family planning, not as a form of contraception, but as a way of spacing children um, while keeping the unitive and procreative dimensions of the human sexual act together. So, so what does that mean? What is the purpose of sex? Unit, union and procreation, right? So there's a unitive dimension, the union that expresses the love between a husband and wife, which expresses in a physical way, the love between God and us. And, and, and that ability to share in God's gift of giving new life. And that's why I think the sexual accent is intensely pleasurable, right? Because first of all, God wants us to do it. <laughs> and, and second of all, I think that it's a physical manifestation of the pleasure, if you will, that God feels when he creates us. The joy that God feels. I mean, I'm using human terms for God here, right? But but the, the, but, uh, the way... Uh, God feels the joy that God experiences when he creates us. I think that's physically manifested in the sexual act. But the purpose of the act itself is also for, for procreation, for the bringing forth of new life. So they mm -hmm. both go together. Think about it. If you have procreation without love, then you have a test tube baby. You have in vitro fertilization. Mm -hmm. That's what you have. And so, the, and so there's a tendency for the child to become a product, a product of uh, a, a product of um, a laboratory experiment, right? Where they take um, eggs outside of a woman's ovaries and put them in a dish and they take sperm from a man, they mix them together, they create babies in a, in a test tube or in a Petri dish. And now they become products of, a, of, of, of this, uh, uh, of this joining of sperm and egg and not the product of the love between a mother and father who are open uh, to life, manifesting the, the very Trinitarian of life of God himself. And so there's a, a tendency for these, for these children to become disposable. Mm -hmm. Right. And, and that, and that, that's absolutely horrific. In fact, um, for example, in vitro fertilization, the church is against that very much. So um, because say they create 20 children in a Petri dish and they take some of those embryos and implant them into a woman because they, they, they want to have one child. What do they do with the other embryos? They throw them, they either cryogenically free them, freeze them to use them for genetic manipulation or they dump them down the drain. Like children literally dump them down the drain like it's soap, you know, or toilet paper or something like that. It's, 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 it's sick. Um, and that's why the church is very much against that. Now, again, this openness to life doesn't mean to have as many children as possible, right? Um, but it does mean that, that, that when you made this promise to enter this relationship, you promised to, to accept children lovingly from God because children are a gift. Children are a gift from God. And so 
um, there, there definitely is a beautiful openness there. Um, and here's and here's the thing. So some people will say then, but what if a couple can't have children? You know, they get married and they realize even though they're able to have intercourse, they just can't get pregnant. In fact, I know a couple like that. Um, the woman, uh, they found this out after they were married and they couldn't have children. They did some tests and they found out that this woman has a genetic condition. It's, this was when she was in her 20s, where she's already in menopause. Her body physically has the body of a 60-year-old, but she's only in her 20s. So it was literally impossible for them to have children. So they end up adopting, uh, I think, three or four uh, children. But even though they adopted them, they're still their children. Remember, uh, Joseph adopted Jesus, right? He was, he was his, his adopted father, but he was still his father, right? Mm -hmm. That's why Mary says, when they found him in the temple, your father and I were looking anxiously for you. Not this dude that God put here to take care of me or your foster father. No, your father, right? And so even though uh, the, the child may be adopted, those are very much still his parents because every child has a right, a right to be raised by a father and a mother. Very important. So when we when we we raise them apart. Now what about but what about single moms? Yes, there you know those things happen because of sad and tragic circumstances. The fact that someone has cancer and dies, or mm -hmm. someone gets divorced, like my parents, those are sad and tragic circumstances, not by design, mm -hmm. right? Sure. And so those are the exceptions, not the norm. Okay, so we we've got an idea about what the church teaches now about marriage, sexuality, how the gift of sexuality should be used within the context of marriage and not outside. Just to finish off with the time we have left today, why don't we just backtrack a little bit and when it comes to dating and actually finding the right spouse, finding the one that is going to live out this amazing journey with you, what do we say as Catholics? How do we guide people on that journey? What should we be telling people to encourage them to, to stick to the church's teaching? And how do we get them early? Yeah, so um, what we have to do is learn to listen to God, right? Mm -hmm. And that's you, and that, for me, the perfect place to do that is Eucharistic adoration. We live in a culture that's so filled with noise, that's so filled with distractions, um, that we can't hear God speaking to us. So when God speaks to us, God speaks to us. We talked about this before, the heart, mm -hmm. right? In the, what St. Benedict called the ear of the heart or arum cordis, the ear of the heart. Because um, that's where God can, can touch you and change your life is in your heart. But in order to listen to that voice, we have to be quiet. So as we're discerning what God may be calling us to, just be honest, Lord, are you calling me to priesthood or religious life or are you calling me to be married? If you are calling me to be married, Lord, then then uh, when when you know God's timing is always perfect, not our time. When you when you believe I'm ready, Lord, please put the woman in my life. Or if you're a woman, please put the man in my life that will help get me to heaven. Right, the, the, a man that will a woman that will help me to become the man fully that you created and called me to be on earth. Right, um, help help uh help help this woman to help me to serve protect and defend to live out my call to authentic masculinity by allowing me to become fully who i am in a beautiful complementarity relationship you know 
And so same thing for the woman. She has to ask the same question, but also things like, or if you're in a dating relationship now, you're discerning marriage. Has this relationship with him or with her brought me closer to God? Hmm? Has this relationship brought me closer to God? Would I want my children to grow up to be just like him or just like her? Am I dating in order to discern marriage? Do my parents approve of him? Is, is he or she 100% faithful? That means they're not looking at pornography because that, that is a huge problem um, uh, in the culture. Are we spiritually compatible? You know, is this person uh, Catholic? Do they believe in the, the, the tenets of the Catholic faith? Or is this the kind of thing they're appeasing me right now, but after we get married, they're going to stop going to church. They're just doing this because they just want to be with me, but they really don't care. That's a huge, huge issue that needs to be discerned thoughtfully and carefully and prayerfully. Do I feel safe and honored and respected by this person when I'm around them? Um, are they clean of any drugs or, or excessive alcohol use? Um, uh, do, does this person bring out the best in me? Right? Does this person help me to become the person that God created me to be? Does this person respect my purity? Right? Do they respect my decision to save uh, the, the sexual intimacy from marriage? Um, does this person um, treat me with uh, emotional, physical, spiritual, and psychological um, health? Right? Are these relationships healthy in that way? Um, you know, th these are the kinds of questions that need to be asked and discerned when you're, when you're thinking about, uh, when you're in a dating relationship, thinking about marriage. Um, the, and these are things that often young people, they just like, well, we're just, again, we're compatible. Mm -hmm. We're compatible. There has to be a much deeper reality if that marriage is going to last because it's not their strength. It has to be God's strength working through the grace of the sacrament that's going to help see them through. Something that I remember uh, a lot of our listeners would know Sarah Swafford, the author of Emotional Virtue, a word that she regularly uses is striving. And I think that can be applied as like a, a banner, a summary of everything you've just said in all of those questions that need to be raised. A good summary question is, is this person striving to live their life for Christ? And yes. if they're not, getting into a relationship and then ultimately getting married is not something you want to get in and think, I'm going to fix them. I'm going to help them. I'm going to, they're all wonderful things to be able to do for someone. But if you're going in, knowing that that is your intention, rather than I want to give my life to them and I want to live my life with them on the path to Christ. If, if you're not going with that mentality and you're going in with the mentality of, oh, I can fix it. I can live with it while I help them fix it. That, that's really a dangerous way to approach it as well, isn't it? Absolutely. Because what you're doing, you're setting, you're setting yourself up for failure. Why? Because you're putting all your hopes and all your fulfillment and all the, the desires and dreams into your spouse. Mm -hmm. Right. But remember, what's the goal to get to heaven? Mm -hmm. Right. Your marriage is a microcosm, a reflection of Revelation 19, verse nine. Blessed are those who are called or, or actually in the Greek, uh, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding feast or wedding supper of the lamb, mm -hmm. right? Where, where ultimately God is the, uh, Jesus is the eternal bride groom that's giving life to his bride, the church forever in heaven. M Earthly marriage anticipates that, 
So, and so striving is an excellent word to use because you cannot find your fulfillment in your spouse. If mm-hmm. you're looking for your spouse to somehow totally meet all your needs and all your hopes and all your desires on earth, then you're going to fail because mm-hmm. only God can do that. But if you're both striving for holiness, if you're both striving for spritual perfection, uh, and, and we're going to fall short. That's why That's why we have the sacrament of reconciliation, right? That's why I have marriage counseling, because we all, we all fall short. But if we're striving, if we're working hard to see that image and likeness of God in that other person, if we're striving for that spiritual complementarity, not just compatibility, but complementarity, if we're cooperating with the grace and the graces that are given in the sacrament, then we can have a happy, fulfilling life together on earth. Again, with the goal of helping get each other to heaven. Beautiful. Deacon, when it comes to finding the right spouse, what is your opinion on dating apps, specifically Catholic dating apps, because they are out there? What do you think of those? I I personally, I'm not a big fan because I feel like if you're trying to meet someone somewhat outside of reality, then it makes it harder to build a relationship with them from the start. I'm not saying they that you can't find your your spouse that God intended for you through these apps, but what do you think of them as a as a means to that end? Well, you know, I, I've been married for 28 years, and those there were no apps, there was no internet. Yeah, <laughs> back back in those back in those days when 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 I was dating and all that kind of stuff. But uh, um, but again, I I know solid Catholics, very solid Catholics, who have found their spouse also excellent and solid using those apps. Because sometimes people just have a hard time meeting people. But you should go into it. Okay, this is a a vehicle for me to meet someone, right? I'm going to find my husband. No, this is a way for me to meet someone that, you know, and and just see if we're, you know, if things work out, if, if we you know, if we click, if we have the same values, because what you have to look at are for trolls. There are some, mm. guy, particularly guys out there yeah. who put themselves on these Catholic dating apps and they make these false profiles um, because they're trying to have sex with a virgin. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, just, I'm just being real here. You know, so you have these guys that, you know, that they hear all this beautiful language that this, you know, that the, that the young lady wants to hear, you know, in the hopes of, uh, of, of pursuing a sexual relationship with her. So th- you have to be careful of, of those trolls that are on those, on, on, on those apps. But in these days, Mark, I, I, I talked to so, so many young people that are good, solid Catholics that are having a hard time mm-hmm. meeting, which doesn't surprise me, Mark, doesn't surprise me. Think about it. Young, a lot of young people ain't going to church. So they're not going to meet them in the young adult group because the parents doesn't have a young adult group. Um, you know, they may meet somebody at a Newman Center if if they if they are practicing their faith in college and they go to a secular college as a Newman Center, they may meet, you know, a, a potential mate there or something like that. But there's so many young people, good solid Catholic young people, that are having a hard time finding people. So they're using the apps not as a replacement, as a but as a supplement mm-hmm. um, to to as a way of potentially looking for a, a future spouse. I suppose that's my concern with the whole dating app. Um, world is that, like you said, they're not finding them at church. If you find them on the app because they're not going to church, so you didn't find them there, 
that's already a black mark against their name when you, you're going through your checklist of what you want in a spouse, though, isn't it? That they claim to be yeah, Catholic, or, they're on a Catholic app, but they're not going to mass. That's already a, well, a struggle that you have or to contend you with. You can have two people, like, for example, the friend that I'm thinking about who found their spouse, who's a phenomenal guy, by the way, absolutely phenomenal guy. They both were, couldn't find young people. They're both very loyal churchgoers who couldn't find people in their own churches. So they, sure. they went on the they went on the app. Okay. So you have two people who are good, solid Catholics. Yeah. In, in this case, they found each other and were able to have the beautiful marriage. They have like five kids now uh, and just absolutely living a beautiful, solid uh, Catholic life together. Yeah. So I mean, it's like, possible. Yeah. I mean, like, I mean like, for uh, me, it's not, I'm old school. You know, it's not, it's not my thing, you know, but for young people, again, it gives options when they're out there looking. Cause, I mean, cause what's the alternative? I know, um, some some people that I mean, good solid Catholic, mostly women mm-hmm. in their thirties who are like my biological clock is ticking, you know. And I'm in my thirties, I'm not married, I don't have kids, and they're looking for a good Catholic man and can't find one. So then what happens? Because that biological clock is ticking, they want to compromise. Mm-hmm. They'll 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 go with a guy who doesn't really, you know, mm. really believe all the stuff. Yes, but because well, he's he's close enough. Yeah. You know, so they're willing to compromise. Yes. You know, so I mean, so if the dating app helps it in that way, then you know fair enough. Yeah. But we enough. have to be have to be careful. Yes. And we have to be we have to be very careful and discern. Yes. But you know, it shouldn't be a mean all a, a, a be all and end all. Again, yes. it should be a supplement, not the solution. And I think the important thing there is if you do happen to find someone that you think is someone that you can uh, discern with. Take it out of yeah. the app. Take it out of social media. Yes. Get it into real life. And that's the way you're going to, yes, you're not exactly. going to know by back and yes. forth messaging on social media apps and, and text messaging. You have to get it into reality, even if it exactly. does begin on the app. And that's what I, when I was saying, I'm not saying it can't happen, but you just have to be sure that it becomes real before you become committed to it. Oh, there, there's no question yeah. about that. Absolutely. It cannot absolutely stay on the app. Yeah. Um, you know, it's funny you mentioned that because I remember doing marriage prep with a couple and we got to the point where we're talking about how they argue together. And he said, well, we text each other. I said, okay, well, yeah, the initial text where you're pissed off at each other and you text the the, the, the sad face or the mad emoji. Okay. Mm-hmm. But when you actually get together, mm-hmm. what does, do you yell? Do you scream? Do you use your hands? Are you calm? Or what does that look like? Well, no, no, we just text. So they actually never have a real argument. They do everything over texting. Yeah. I'm like, oh my goodness, red flag, red flag all over the place there. Mm-hmm. You know, you cannot rely on technology to remove that human element from the relationship. Yeah, absolutely. This whole discussion today is obviously something that's very hard to condense into one podcast. And in, in the, I mean, we're nearly out of time, but I just want to um, mention a few resources that we can go on with. And, and Deacon, I'll ask you as well if you have anything to contribute here, but just just a couple that come to mind. Obviously, uh, Jason and Kristalina Revit do amazing work at, at Chastity Project. And you can find them on, on chastity.com. So just this wealth of information, resources and like videos and, and books and things that you can that you can use to, to help really drive home the Catholic message in this area. 
Locally here in Australia, someone that's also doing an amazing job in this area, Simon Carrington with his wife, Madeline, uh, and Fire Art Ministries. I know, Deacon, you've, you've spoken at one of their dinners before, and you're a good friend of Simon and Maddie too, but, but they do amazing work down here in Australia and, and beyond, and, and they have their own website, fireartministries.com, where once again, you can get a whole lot of resources, videos, and other, other resources, and, and Simon does the the courses for, for young people and speaking, regularly speaking at schools as well down here in Australia and, and hopefully one day beyond. Um, but yeah, they're, they're a really exciting growing ministry. And also Christopher West, uh, Theology of the Body Institute. Uh, Theology of the Body, uh, it's a great gift uh, from St. John Paul, St. John Paul the Great. It's a great gift to the church. And I think if more people in the church better understood Theology of the Body, not only the church would be different, um, but the whole world would be just such a different place if, if people were approaching life with this perspective that, that St. John Paul the Great's given us in, in uh, the theology of the body. I know that Christopher West has got an amazing course that we have in our Perusia Academy online courses. It's called Introduction to Theology of the Body. And you can get, uh, get your hands on that course for as little as $99 just to, to have that content to uh, just to, to go through. It's, it's a 12, I think 12 or 13 part series. Uh, it's just a fantastic course. It's Introduction to Theology of the Body in the Perusia Academy. And you can get that by going to perusiamedia.com, just clicking the Perusia Academy tab and it takes you through that and all the other courses there. But, but that's something that I think is very, very powerful as well. Um, Deacon, is there any other resource that you can contribute to the, to the discussion here? Well, I was going to mention all the people that you mentioned, but I want to okay. mention two more. You, you mentioned Sarah Swafford, yes. who I think has a tremendous resource. Also, Leah Darrow mm -hmm. uh, does a tremendous job, uh, especially talking about beauty, the beauty of authentic femininity mm. and, and, uh, uh, and, and sexuality, because a lot of these sexual things are, are, are evolving women, right? Yes. Uh, and, and so they, they have very beautiful ways to articulate the authentic femininity. And as mm. a man, you know, I, I've able to to learn a lot from both of them about the the beauty of women and um, the approach that we that we take as men in thinking about our relationships with women. So they they both do a beautiful job as well. Wonderful. Okay, so we'll try and put links to all of those different people and apostolates in in the notes of this particular episode. But there's there's oh, and there's also a, uh, yep. Damon Owens. Damon yeah, Owens does an amazing yes. job as well. Yeah, yeah. I've actually seen a series that he did uh, for EWTN. Uh, on um, what was it? Uh, it was something to do with um, uh, natural family planning, and it's, it's yeah. A, it's a he did a TV series, series. On, on NFP. Yeah, and yep. I found that was a particularly yep. good series. So, so like I say, we'll try and put links to all these things in the show notes. There is there is a wealth of information out there. You do have to go looking a little bit for it. It's not readily available front and center on every podcast or whatever that you that you come across but there there are some good resources out there so we'll, we'll definitely link to all of those in the show notes um deacon harold thank you once again for your time and, and your wisdom today it's been fantastic talking with you once again thank you mark it's always great to be with you and i, I enjoy our, our, our these uh these conversations very much likewise and i'm looking forward to the the next episode for anyone who wants to follow deacon harold's work you can go to his website at deaconharold.com and for anyone wanting to stay in touch with what we're doing at Perusia, you can go to perusiamedia.com and keep a track of our activities there. Thank you once again, everybody, for listening with us today. And we look forward to having you back with us in the next episode of Speaking with Deacon. Thanks and God bless you.